are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 160 on the Golden State Killer Part 2. The last part. Yes. We weren't the sure. The last part. We weren't sure, and I probably could have done a third part, but when I really thought about it, I don't think people like that. Yeah, there's too many. Like You have to be committed. Yeah, like we've already noticed when we do part twos that we get less listens on the part two than the part one, which, okay, so I guess if you are waiting, like you listen to the part one, you don't want to wait a week for part two. I get that same way, but I feel like doing a part three, man, that's really pushing it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll get even less. Yeah, we'll get like one listen on part three. (laughs) So that's. That's a good thing for us to know. Do you like whenever it's just one part and you, that's all it's all buttoned up in one little neat hour episode? Or do you like the more in-depth things? I think I think you're right. I think most people like just a one and done situation. Yeah. And like I like as far as researching goes, I like doing multiple parts because honestly, I could probably do like. Uh, on this one I probably could have done like five parts you know Mm. if I really wanted to get into it but yeah people don't want to come back over and over and over we would have to record it all at once and release it all at once that kind of thing so yeah we're not going to do that but here we are I buttoned it up into part two there's a lot of extra information available and out there for people to go look at if they want to there's documentaries with more information but we i was able to get it all in this one section okay yeah we have just a few things business wise again we did a new Mm -hmm. merch store t public so you can go to t public you can search mhp and our logos will show up or you can go to a really long website tpublic.com slash backslash stores backslash mystery dash history dash podcast or you could look in the show notes and there's a link there so you can just click on it uh that's nice you got options there's so many options um and there's so many options on the website you could pick a green one or an orange one for halloween uh throw it on whatever you feel it makes you feel Mm -hmm. fancy um episode suggestions we did do what we should have done a long time ago and (laughs) broke out some episodes for poor jamie to help us with our episode art um so we're through i think the beginning of november but please send us your suggestions we are using a lot of the suggestions that we received in this next month's batch so if and if you yeah and if you previously sent us suggestions and we didn't do your episode and you gave us a suggestion a long time ago send it again because we're a mess it's not that we don't want to do it we just are a mess so send it again please (laughs) we are uh so yeah definitely send that to us we do listen to your suggestions and we do try to work those in absolutely while not making jamie any more crazy than what we already do by switching things up (laughs) right bless her heart she loves us and we love her so much we do the next thing, just real quick, TikTok, we're on there loosely. Uh, go follow yeah. it so we're motivated to use it. <laughs> yeah, go follow it. Help us figure out how to use this machine. Uh, we're 36 now. Or you're almost yeah. 36. Am I 36? 
Yeah, we're both 36. We're about to be 37. So we're pretty much 40, and this is out of our realm. We're so old. (laughs) We're so old. Mystery History Pod is the TikTok name. You can search that however you search it on TikTok. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We have no idea. (laughs) Assume you can do that, though. Okay, so that's all the business. Um, Let me recap part one, or do you want to recap part one? I can, I'll recap it. Um, Real, real short, we went over the fact that somebody raped like 50 women. Yeah. Uh, This person was known as the East Area Rapist. They have no idea who it was. And that is just astonishing in and of itself. You would think that this person would be caught. Um, We also discussed the murder of Brian and Katie Maggiore. They were just out in the neighborhood walking their dog and they were chased down and killed. And that those murders occurred on February 2nd, 1978. And the rapes were continuing on through July 1979. I also want to add, we didn't talk about the fact that, and I listened to this, I've started listening to the I'll Be Gone in the Dark documentary. I'm only like two episodes in and I think there's five, but I thought it was interesting. One of the detectives on this case is a female, which she was the only female that was coming to these cases. And thank God she was there because she made those victims of these rapes feel so much more comfortable. But she was also talking about the fact that in the 70s, women being raped, it was like not a big deal basically Mm. like they it wasn't talked about the husbands didn't know how to deal with it the women were like left to like figure it out on their own basically and not encouraged to really talk about it and two even if they had caught the person a lot of times it was like a slap on the wrist like they might get 30 days they might just get probation yeah that's sickening that is insane to me And I knew that, but I just wanted to reiterate it because I feel like people should know that. I mean, it's just wild that somebody could be out there raping people. I mean, even today, I don't think that the the punishment fits the crime enough because of the fact that you're taking somebody's bodily autonomy away. Mm-hmm. Well, I started also rewatching because I watched it a long time ago when it first came out and I read half of the book, which is a really great book. True crime is just really hard for me to read. Um, but she does it. And I mean, she goes in fully to this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, consumed by it, addicted to it. But there was on the first episode, there was a woman who had been raped whenever she was in her teens and didn't go to a dance because she was sick. And that was her first time. So like, yeah, he took her virginity. Yeah. And just Mm -hmm. that would be terrible because every experience after that, you would have that in your mind, like Mm -hmm. no good memories of of any of that. Um, Yeah. Oh, and something else. I don't know why this like the whole situation is awful, but for whatever reason, this like extra creeped me out. He would show up a lot of times already with no pants on. Yeah. Like he would have his shirt on, but he would just like roll up with his wiener out. Mm -hmm. And And I don't know. 
it was a small wiener. Uh-huh. And I don't know why, but that like extra creeps me out. Like he's out here Winnie the Pooh in and waking people up with flashlights. <laughs> like stop. <laughs> yeah, the thing that really gets me is not so much the no pants with the small peen, but the fact that he would go in beforehand and hide ligatures so he could oh, yeah. tie these people up. That really creeps me out. Uh, yeah, um, could you imagine just watching him like go grab something from under your couch cushion to yeah. tie you up with that you know you did not put there? He put it there and mm-hmm. like what the fuck? So he had been in your house before. Like yeah. ugh. That that would just take all your safety. Uh, even something that would already take it away, but that you you I would have to move, I feel like. Like he knows how to get into my house. I got to go. I got to move somewhere. Yeah, I feel like I would want to move for sure too. Anything that is that traumatic yeah you just want to get out of there i'm sure Mm -hmm. so that was part one there's the recap (laughs) so we're gonna go ahead and just get started on october 1st of 1979 318 miles away from the location of the last rape in july a couple in galetta california were awakened by an intruder with a flashlight They were tied up, and the woman was brought to the living room. They heard the attacker saying to himself, I'll kill you, over and over again. Like, under his breath. That is so creepy to me. He's, like, ramping himself up. Yeah. So, fearing for her and her husband's life, the woman was somehow able to get her bindings undone, and she raced out the front door. She was naked. She was screaming. Her next-door neighbor, and this is at, like, 2.30 in the morning, her next-door neighbor, who was an FBI agent, came out just in time to see a man speeding by on a bicycle. This neighbor got in his car and chased the man on the bike. The man on the bike jumped off the bike and jumped over a fence, so he lost him. No one realized that this was the East Area Rapist at the time, since it was so far away. Right. But it was. And these people escaped with their lives. Thank goodness. Crazy. Well, and and back to part one, he was seen just like this many times. Oh, yeah. Saw him and they just could never catch him. They saw him in the act of like fleeing, but they Mm -hmm. could never get him, which is so frustrating. And people would see him like in yards and just like walking around in people's yards and things and i'm sure at the time they didn't realize who it was sometimes right but i mean this person was very seen well and to take it back to where i was talking about the victim who lost her virginity via him he would take her outside and then bring her back in to rape her and then take her back outside in her backyard like How crazy would that be to be out and know that if you screamed, he was going to kill you? Like it, I just feel like that adds to the psychological shit that he's doing across Mm -hmm. the board. Yeah, definitely. A few blocks away on December 30th, 1979, 44-year-old Robert Offerman and his girlfriend, 35-year-old Deborah Manning, were found shot to death at Robert's condo in Galetta by friends coming to play tennis. It is suspected that an intruder came in through the sliding glass door. 
bound the couple and left them on their bed to go into their kitchen where he ate turkey, which we talk about in part one. He likes to make snacks. Yeah. And it was like, I think it was like a whole turkey, like leftover from Christmas. That's crazy. And he just goes and like spends all his time there. Well, now would my first thought would be like, maybe he's homeless and he's hungry. And like, that's why he's doing that. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't have access to food. Yeah, but, but that's not it. It's definitely a control thing. Mm-hmm. Robert's bindings were undone, which indicated that he had gone after the intruder. Neighbors heard gunshots. Both were shot and the intruder ran off. Mm-hmm. Nuts. Yeah. I think that they said, too, that, and I don't know if it was this one, but that... No, it wasn't this one. Never mind. Sorry. (laughs) Like rambling. Moving on. On March 13th, 1980, in Ventura, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith were found murdered. They had been bound with a drapery cord and Charlene had been raped. They were bludgeoned to death with a log from a woodpile they had outside. There was a knot used on Charlene's bindings that is known as a diamond knot. And this knot was also used in some of the East Area rapist attacks. The couple was tragically found by Lyman's 12-year-old son. Oh, my. And I think around this time, they were calling this guy, like, the Diamond Knot Murderer. hmm Somewhere in here, they start giving him names again and all that, but they don't realize that same. this is the same person. Yikes. August 19th, 1980, 24-year-old UC Irvine student Keith Harrington and his 27-year-old wife Patrice, uh, who was a nurse. Nurse, not a nerd. Uh, This is where my fingers were frozen. I was doing these notes at my daughter's soccer practice at like eight o'clock last night. It was completely dark and I was freezing. (laughs) The nurse. Yes. The she nurse. Was a nurse. She was a nurse. <laughs> were found bludgeoned to death in their home in a gated community. There was evidence that they had been bound, but no ligatures or re- weapons were left behind. Patrice had been raped. The young couple had only been married for three months at the time of their murder. Keith's brother, Bruce, ended up spending around $2 million supporting California Proposition 69 in 2004 which would authorize DNA collection from all California felons and certain other criminals. And it passed. That is important later. Right. But it's really cool that he did that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that it ended up passing. On February 6, 1981, 28-year-old Manuela Whithun was raped and murdered in her home in Irvine, She was bludgeoned and showed signs of being tied up, but again, no murder weapon or ligatures were found in the home. She was home alone because her husband was hospitalized, and then her television was found in the backyard. Don't know why. Maybe as an attempt to make it seem like a robbery gone wrong, like throwing people off that this is the same person. I don't really know. I don't think anybody really knows, but... Her TV was in the backyard, which is strange. 
And it was by this time, the media was starting to call this murder the Night Stalker. And later, people would call him the original Night Stalker because Richard Ramirez came around and was known as the Night Stalker. And he, I think at that time, was like quite a bit more famous. And they're just reusing the name, uh-huh. <laughs> basically. So then to wrap back around, they were calling him the original Night Stalker after Richard Ramirez was caught and all that. On July 27th, 1981, 27-year-old Gregory Sanchez and his 35-year-old wife, Sherry, our girlfriend Sherry Domingo, were attacked in Sherry's residence in Galetta. She was staying at a relative's house at the time, and the house was up for sale. The attacker entered through a small bathroom window, and Gregory was shot and wounded on the cheek before being bludgeoned to death, but he was never tied up. Hmm. It's thought that he realized who he was dealing with Hmm. because, you know, there's talk about town that this is occurring, right? and it's thought that he knew what was about to go down so instead of letting himself be tied up he attacked tried to attack the intruder and bring him down unsuccessfully unfortunately so there was a gunshot and no neighbors responded to the gunshot and when he was found gregory's head was covered up with clothes from the closet so he got shot got bludgeoned and then he covered up yeah covered up his head with clothes from the closet but no neighbors responded to the gunshot that's wild which kind of makes sense it feels wild but at the same time what do you what would you do i don't know you know on my my ring uh like app everybody in the neighborhood's like did anybody hear those gunshots and it's like a car backfiring or something like that so you're probably right you probably are just like oh that was something else and especially if you don't hear like multiple in a row like pow 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 mm-hmm. you probably are just chalking it up to something yeah like happening. something else or and even if you did think it was a gunshot like oh that sounded like a gunshot I mean, what do you do? Call the like non-emergency line and say, I think I heard a gunshot. Here's my address. Right. But I have no idea where it came from. Where it came from or what's Uh going on. Yeah. I don't know. So there's probably not a lot the neighbors could have done anyways, but nobody reported hearing a gunshot. Sherry was raped and bludgeoned. She did have bruises on her wrists and ankles. So indicating that she was tied up. And a piece of shipping twine was found near the bed with fibers from an unknown source scattered over her body. Ooh. Yeah. I don't know what that is about. It's weird. I had a question about this. Oh, no. A comment. Getting shot in the cheek? What? I was thinking about that. How does that happen? Where does it go? Did it graze his cheek? Because if you get shot in the cheek, it's got to either go like through your jaw or through your brain or like through your mouth. I don't know. I don't know the details, but I was I had the exact same thought. I was like, what a terrible place to be shot. And what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like your face would just be gone. Like your jaw would be. uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. So Um, I don't know if it just like grazed his cheek. Like he right. missed and it grazed his cheek or what, but ugh, I don't yeah, like it. 
I don't like it either. It's not good. May 4th, 1986, uh, a five-year jump from the last situation there. So 18-year-old Janelle Cruz was found raped and murdered by being bludgeoned in her home. Her family was on vacation in Mexico and she was home alone. A mm-hmm. pipe wrench, which was reported missing by Janelle's stepfather, is believed to have been the murder weapon. So five years, he was silent. Mm-hmm. And then this comes back around. A- yeah. Not silent, but not murdering anybody. <laughs> yeah, not murdering. Okay. A Sacramento detective was sure that the cases in Sacramento and Galetta area were related, but because the murders were in varying jurisdictions, the department was not working cooperatively and did not pursue this possibility, which we we hear all the time. Yeah, and that's they talk about that quite a bit in the Gone in the Dark documentary, I feel like, um, to kind of give some insight into that. And I don't know if they would have caught him probably not Mm. honestly but the fact that they weren't they didn't realize that this was related they weren't all working together with all the clues they had to try to figure out who this person was but at this point i believe they've collected lots of dna evidence Mm -hmm. um from all the different scenes and none of the other evidence that they had necessarily even if they had it all put together would point to who was responsible right so i don't know but yeah they weren't working together and the the detective from sacramento he knew what was up like right away (laughs) yeah is that the guy that wrote the book yeah Yeah, i think so in 1982 so during his little hiatus time um a previous victim received a phone call at work at a denny's and the caller threatened to rape her again contra costa investigator paul holes thinks that the rapist must have gone to the restaurant and recognized her there and then made that phone call oh my god like you're not already freaked out still (laughs) like what a dick (laughs) You would just be thinking everyone, like, whenever you don't have a face. Uh-huh. Maybe it could be literally anyone. Yeah, it could be. It's mm-hmm. awful. Then in 1991, a different previous victim got a call, and the man spoke with her for a full minute. She could hear a woman and children in the background of this phone call. Wow. Then on April 6, 2001, the day after an article in the Sacramento Bee linked the original Night Stalker with the East Area Rapist, a victim of the rapist got a call from a man asking, remember when we played? Ugh. Gross. Ew. Do not like that. So he just is out here, like, calling people. Oh, yeah. When he feels the need screwing with people's emotions and their their right to feel safe right exactly there was speculation but in 2001 the east area rapist and the original night stalker were officially connected using dna evidence from several rapes believed to be connected by the east area rapist and dna committed committed i'm sorry what did i say (laughs) 
to be committed <laughs> by the East Area Rapist. And DNA evidence left at the scenes of Charlene and Lyman Smith's murder and Manuela's murder and Janelle's murder. So all those murders. Mm-hmm. In 2016, more composite sketches were released by the FBI, along with more crime details and a $50,000 reward. Mm-hmm. That's pretty happy so, reward. Yeah. And honestly, this gives me the vibes like they didn't completely stop, you know, researching this case. New detectives, I'm sure, were getting put on it. They were continually looking at this, trying to find new ways to um, find this guy. But finally, in 2017, there was a break in the case when through the use of genetic genealogy searching on GED match, investigators found distant relatives of the DNA that they had. Whoa. Using this information, the investigators were able to build about 25 different family trees. And to give you an idea of what that looked like, the one tree that actually contained the perpetrator had a thousand people in it. Holy cow. So if it stands to reason <laughs> that if all the trees had a thousand people, that means 25,000 people. They narrowed it down to 25,000 people, which honestly is better than the whole of the entire world so yeah, you know right. they're getting somewhere it took a few months but the investigators were able to use clues like age sex and residency to rule out the suspects they ruled people out one by one going through those family trees they eliminated everyone until just one man remained and that one man was joseph james d'angelo Hmm. On April 18th, 2018, a DNA sample was collected from a door handle of Joseph's car. Sneaky, sneaky. Joseph didn't know <laughs> that <laughs> there was a DNA sample collected from his car. Another sample was later collected from a tissue in his trash can that was at the curb. Both of those samples were matched to samples associated with the Golden Gate Killer, which is who we're now talking about. Bro had five million different names. Golden all the State. same guy. Golden Did State. I say Golden Gate? <laughs> that in the notes, too. This is when my brain was frozen. Golden <laughs> State Killer. And yeah, that's that's how they got this guy. He was arrested April 24th, 2018 in his yard at his home. And since then, people have questioned the secondary use of personally identifiable information. Like, is that ethical? I guess. Which, yeah, 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 yeah it, it is. is. Absolutely. Proceed with that, my friends. That's in my, my opinion. That's why, if you're ever held in a like, if you're ever being interviewed, don't ever drink anything. Don't ever yeah. touch anything because they can use it against you. But yeah, it should be. And the moral of the story is don't do anything that your DNA would be needed to get you caught. Right. Exactly. If you don't murder people, you shouldn't have to worry about it. You know? Yeah. Yes, exactly. You wouldn't have to mur worry about it. So. Wow. <laughs> there it is. That is so wild. The genealogy stuff is just so interesting. I love that shit. 
<laughs> I love genealogy stuff anyways. Like I have ancestry.com and like twice now I've paid for it so I can like go through the family trees and my family tree is really hard for us to like build up so that's why I've had to do it twice now because one side of my family it's like who knows what's going on kids were like passed off everywhere it was a hot mess Mm -hmm. um so I'm still like we're still working on that side of things but um I just think it's so cool. Like you can find people that are related to you in the area that you didn't know were related to you. You can find like stories of relatives, like distant relatives from like the civil war era and -hmm. things like that. Like we found a really cool story about somebody in the civil war that we were related to and stuff. And then in turn, they can use all that to catch bad guys. Like Mm -hmm. this is great. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. We're just doing our part to catch killers. Now, I will say, I wonder, because now that this is a thing, right? Like, let's say that you were a murderer in the 70s. DNA isn't a bother to you. But now you're seeing that now that it's with the times, wouldn't you be shitting a brick every day of your life? Oh, yeah, that would definitely scare me if I committed all these crimes and got away with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like technology that be... is not those people's friends. <laughs> yeah, but I would be that way anyway, though. Like if I did oh, something like that, I'd be constantly thinking the police were going to show. I don't know how people live. It with wouldn't that. be. I don't either. It wouldn't be worth it. Like I would turn myself in mm-hmm. because life would not be worth living with that kind of stress. Right. I don't need it. I'm anxious enough by myself, not committing crimes. Thank you. <laughs> and and, you know, in 2018, when Joseph was just hanging out in his yard, he had no idea that this yeah. was going to be happening. And I love it. I love I all love of it. I love that, too. It's fantastic. So good I'm old... so glad he got caught. <laughs> right. Yes. Because it could have not happened. I mean, he's old. Yeah. And he wasn't, like, at this time, I don't think he was committing crimes any mm-hmm. longer. And it sucks that it's, like, it feels like justice isn't all the way served because he got to live a life yeah and he shouldn't have been allowed to live a life like that Mm -hmm. it's not fair but I am just glad that while he was still alive he did get caught he had I mean we'll talk about it later but he had to listen to all the victim impact stories and those people he raped are still alive Oh, yeah. A lot of them are still around and there was 50 of them. So they were able to come and say, like, dude, yeah, this is how you affected my life. And he had to sit through and listen to all of them. And I don't know if he cared, but it makes me glad that he was still around and he had to listen to them. Well, and it's good for the the victims to be able to Mm -hmm. say their piece, have a face to put to this guy in the dark that raped them so long ago. Like know that they don't have to be scared anymore, mm -hmm. finally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So good old Joseph. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. He was later charged with four additional counts of first-degree murder. Joseph sort of confessed referencing an inner personality he called jerry close to joseph but not the same Mm -hmm. guy apparently in his mind in a police interrogation room when he was alone joseph said i don't have the strength to push him out i didn't i didn't have the strength jeez words no he didn't he didn't have the strength to push him (laughs) out he made me 
He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all those lives. So now I've got to pay the price. That was a quote from Mm -hmm. Joseph. Yeah. Now the statute of limitations had passed on the burglaries and the rapes, which I still think is bullshit. There should be no statute of limitations on rapes. If you rape somebody, Mm -hmm. you rape somebody and you're in trouble forever. The end. Yep. I agree. Uh, And a lot of sexual crimes are are like that. There should, it it still happened just like murder. There's no statute of limitations on murder because they're still dead. Mm-hmm. These and women were you're still, still a bad guy and you still need to pay for mm-hmm. what you did and the same is in the case for rape yep but he ended up being charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping on june 29th to avoid the death penalty joseph ple- pleaded guilty to 13 counts of first degree murder and special circumstances and 13 counts of kidnapping He received multiple consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. After listening to the victim's impact statements, he said, quote, I've listened to all your statements, each one of them, and I am truly sorry to everyone I've hurt. Wah, wah. Mm -hmm. Not good. I'm not, I'm not moved by that. I like, I think it would be so interesting and, you know, maybe somebody will write a book about this later. But I want to know what what went on in his head mm-hmm. because he did just stop like yeah. he just stopped and how and also why and like what's up with that right <laughs> like I want to know those things is he truly sorry to everyone that he's hurt like I think you could be sorry and not go turn yourself in for something but if are you, you are like selfish <laughs> and want to continue living a life, I don't know. Like, what's sorry mean? Well, and like, and do you look is... back on that and say, I shouldn't have done that and I, I'm not going to do that anymore? Is that what sorry means? I mean, and does it, does it last on to something so terrible as to what he did? I don't know. But I just think it's so weird that he basically like turned a switch off. Well, I think. I think sorry works if you do something one time and you're like, oh, shit, sorry, my bad. Well, maybe he wasn't sorry after the first time, but after all of the stuff he did, then something changed and he was all of a sudden sorry. I mean, I almost buy that because he stopped. Maybe he, I don't know. I just, I can't. I'm not saying it matters. Like still, no, F you, dude. you don't get you don't get to be like, I'm sorry about this and like walk away or anything like that. Like, absolutely not. And you should feel guilty and you're in big, big trouble, buddy. Forever. I just feel like if if you've done but, it, somebody who's done it that many times over and over and over and over again. Yeah, I just can't buy the sorry because you should have been sorry after the first time or the second time or even the 15th time. But like yeah. all of the time and all of the years and all of that stuff. Maybe he mm-hmm. just aged out of it. You know what I mean? Like he got too old, yeah. just like drinking in a bar. You do that whenever you're young. And then in your thirties, you're like, that's not my scene anymore. It, it, not that you're sorry that you did it when you were in your twenties, you had a great yeah. time, but, but it's just, you aged out of it. Maybe, maybe yeah. that is what happened to him. I don't know. I would be very curious to hear. I would love like to, what, yeah. what, what is up with that? 
the real from his mouth and him telling the truth yeah the e true hollywood story from him what's the deal on what's up with that mm-hmm. yeah because that's just weird that doesn't normally happen i don't think no i think they can't typically they can't control themselves and they go down swinging mm-hmm. till the bitter end yeah exactly I don't that's know. That's why most of the time you don't see that's why this is so interesting. Just like the BTK is so interesting because they're they got away with it. And whenever you do it that many times, eventually mm-hmm. you're gonna get caught. And yeah, luckily for him, he did it just happened way in the future. And he mm-hmm. had no friggin' clue. Yeah. That he was ever going to get caught. I mean, uh-huh. by that point, he definitely probably thought he was, like, totally clear. And you know what, dude? You are probably right. He probably did age out of that shit because he stopped when he was 40, 44 years old. And mm-hmm. honestly, at this age, I hurt my back hanging up Halloween decorations. Yeah, he can't be jumping For a fences. week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe he did just age out of it. What an a-hole yeah he's not riding bicycles anymore he's not jumping fences he's not trying right. to elude he, he's not cat-like anymore he can't go in and place ligatures places he's yeah he's, he's out just, he's too old for this business mm-hmm. damn but joseph was transferred to north Kern state prison in 2020 and as of 2021 he's incarcerated in protective custody at california state prison in karak Barack Corcoran, Brand? Corcoran, Corcoran. There should be an H in there. That's bullshit. Really, you always try to make things so complicated. Cor- Corcoran. <laughs> Corcoran. <laughs> Calm down over there. <laughs> you don't have to enunciate every letter <laughs> in the word. Oh, my gosh. All right. So Joseph D'Angelo was the first public arrest uh, obtained through genetic genealogy. Many more since then have been identified and arrested using the genetic genealogy, which we're big fans of. Love that shit. So we're going to just give you a brief, very quick rundown. This is where to keep it into part two and not make a part three, we had to cut some stuff. But we're going to tell you a little bit about who Joseph was. And this creep was born in Bath, New York in 1945. He had two older sisters, a younger brother, and his father was a sergeant in the U.S. Army. He supposedly witnessed the rape of his older sister by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany, and he was abused by his father growing up. Wow. I have more to say about that, but you know. Yeah. And I wonder if witnessing his sister get raped, maybe that put this whole thing in his head. So the, I don't know. I got something to say about that real quick. Like oh, what? Wouldn't you think? <laughs> yes. Wouldn't you think I would it would think do the that. opposite and you, you would, would want to fight that. for justice of you would rape think. victims? I don't know. Yeah. Just well, me. You know, that's how you get superhero origin stories and villain origin stories. It's just mm-hmm. wh- bad stuff happens to both, and it's just where you take it after there, yeah. which direction you go in. Um, but his family moved to California. And while in high school, he committed burglaries and tortured and killed animals. Check that box. So he was a creep from early, early on. They should have known something was going to go wrong with this guy. And they probably did know that, honestly. Mm -hmm. But there's not much that you can do. 
he joined the Navy and served for 22 months during the Vietnam War as a damage control man on the USS Canberra and the USS Piedmont. He went to college to be a police officer. Which, what do we know about those? Yeah, I mean, we have some Control issues. (laughs) Yeah, we have some people we know that, uh, yeah, they're police officers. Um, (laughs) We know some some good people that are police officers, too. I'd like to be clear. There's two kinds. That is very true. Good point. Yes, this is not a means that every police officer is bad. This just means we know a few who are questionable. Um. (laughs) He got an associate's in police science and a bachelor's in criminal justice, so he knew how all that crap worked. In mm-hmm. 1970, during his college days, he became engaged to Bonnie Caldwell. She was like, F you, dude, and broke it off in 1971 after he became manipulative and abusive. Weird. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He attempted to force her to marry him by threatening her with a gun. That's not the way to do it, men. He showed up at her house outside her window in the middle of the night, tapped on her window, and when she looked out, he had a gun. Jesus. Pointed and at who her. who do you call? The police? Her, you know what? She <laughs> ran and got her dad, and he went out there and talked him off the cliff, and he didn't call the cops. He should have. But he oh. didn't want to ruin, well, they don't know why, but it's, you know, she said that maybe he didn't want to ruin his chance at becoming a police officer because if you get caught with something like that you're not gonna be a police officer so yeah yeah, which he should have done obviously right but like rachel said he was unsuccessful she did not marry him thank god in 1978 one of the women he raped told police after he raped her he sobbed into a pillow and said i hate you bonnie i hate you i hate you i hate you so apparently he's gonna blame poor bonnie on all this shit that he did, which is mm-hmm. bull. Yeah, not her fault. He was already messed up, obviously. Obviously, if somebody but- threatens you with a gun to marry you, you made a great choice to not do yeah. that. Yeah. Red flags. <laughs> what do you think about this? Because just real quick, I feel like so this woman told police that he did that. And I would be like, how many people named Bonnie? could possibly live in the california area and i would have made that public mm-hmm. like the rapist said this so if your name is bonnie and you know somebody who seems like they might rape people let us know yeah and maybe she would have called in and been like uh there's your guy <laughs> you know it's hard I to don't say know. i know they keep stuff like they don't release everything they they got their reasons but i feel like they should have let that one go maybe some of this could have been avoided and i just thought this was really interesting um so i included it (laughs) after his arrest sacramento prosecutors and investigators went to bonnie twice and questioned her about her relationship with Mm d'angelo they focused on his sexual habits as they were trying to find a connection to this rapist persona that he had and the person that they were trying to prosecute and also you know all these people he murdered and they were asking her did you ever feel forced or coerced were you ever tied up did he ever ask you if he could tie you up and bonnie said no to all of that stuff but she did tell them that having sex with him was exhausting and often painful she said just as he was climaxing he would break away from her and then return 
minutes later to resume intercourse climaxing again and he would repeat that pattern four or five times over a three hour period jeez and this is the first guy she slept with so she didn't really know like that's not how sex works Uh (laughs) uh-huh and yeah whoa and he didn't seem to care that because if you if you do that for three hours like things are hurting even if you got a small penis that's a long time right friction is not your friend at some point it's not lube's not gonna save you and yeah yeah, he didn't really seem to care that she was in pain and he boasted that he trained himself to have mastery over his body now Mm. that ended up being important for investigators because that pattern of leaving and coming back is exactly what the East Area Rapist did. Mm-hmm. Those poor women oftentimes were not raped one time and then he left. He went and made himself a sandwich and came back Yep, and did that over and over again. So that like lined up. And I just thought that was interesting that she experienced that. So again, if, if they would have said, Bonnie, you know, call us if you know us, then she could have shared that information and they could have linked that together. That's so insane. I don't know. That is insane. Who puts up with that? <laughs> no. Three Absolutely hours. Absolutely not. Who has time Absolutely for that? Absolutely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Yikes. Wow. So he did meet someone that agreed to marry him, hopefully not by gunpoint. And he married Shan- Sharon Huddle in 1973. He and his wife had three daughters together. The same year he got married, he became a police officer. He was a police officer from 1973 until 1979 when he was fired after being caught stealing a hammer and dog repellent. Hmm. Was that? Wonder what he used that for. Right. During the process of being fired, Joseph threatened to kill the police chief and allegedly stalked the chief's house. And this was not like a, we should look into this guy. Yeah. He's got some red flags. <laughs> but insane. no, they did. I mean, they didn't specifically look into him for that. No. Wow. In 1991, he and his wife separated. Finally, in 2018, after Joseph's arrest, Sharon officially filed for divorce. Wow. So, so they were... just Damn. They separated. Yeah, they just didn't ever get divorced. I don't know why. Huh. I feel like people do that sometimes. I mean, it's expensive. Divorce is expensive. Yeah, and they were, like, old, you yeah. know? So, like, whatever. Maybe she didn't want to get married again. This means for most of the time that he was committing those rapes and murders, he was married and raising three girls. And how wild. do you have how do you have daughters? Right, right. And, like, all those women were... So- those were somebody's daughter. Like, do you not care? I don't get it. But anyways, he's out here having a family and you know, that's the family that the poor victim that he was calling heard in the background. Oh yeah. You know, like, uh, and his oldest daughter claimed that he was a perfect father quotes around that meaning like he was there. He was great. She loved him. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't any signs that he was an abusive, crazy person. However, 
there was like some notes from neighbors and things that I saw while I was looking through this saying that he like would have loud outbursts and things like that. He obviously had some form of anger management. Yeah, issues. that he couldn't keep in all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Sharon never suspected that he was committing crimes. She always believed him for the reasons he said that he was gone. I would like more information on that personally because he was out in the middle of the night sometimes did she not realize that he was gone or did he have a believable reason to be out at 2 30 in the morning well we we saw this with btk where he's like said that he was working yeah maybe he said he was working that he didn't work at and like you know you never you would never police officers have weird hours too yeah yeah it's not like she was probably checking up on it well and whenever he got fired did he tell her that he was fired you know back in those times men usually dealt with the finances so i'm sure they didn't have like a bank account they could go online on check it yeah well and he had like other jobs too after that but there was also like a span of time where they said they didn't know what his job was like what he was doing but yeah he he could have definitely been just saying he was out for work i guess and she could have believed that that is fair and i do think like these families that are they're just as much as victims as absolutely and, and that's just so tragic because, man, that really, like, stains your memories, I'm sure. Like, your chi- your whole childhood, like, his daughter's, ugh, like, every memory with him in it, I'd be like, Did you while just that was someone? happening, mm-hmm. he was out doing that. Right. Yeah. And, and especially being a female, and this is what the attacks were on, I don't, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I remember in the BTK, I read the... um the book by his daughter and how she and the mom were starting to get worried about all these attacks. And he was telling him, Oh, you don't have anything to worry about. You know, you're sick because yeah. Cause he was the one, yeah, freaking he's doing, the one it. doing them. Mm-hmm. It's I, I'm really the psychology of all that. I just don't know. I can barely keep my life together as it is now. And I have one kid, three mm-hmm. kids and a wife and a job and all of that stuff. Like how, how do you find the time and the energy Mm-mm. to do all of that and keep it all under wraps i mean that yeah. would be a lot of planning but it seemed like a lot of the times whenever he was committing especially the earlier stuff and he would you know because because for him he would go plant things so that would mm-hmm. be even more time it wasn't like just a oh i passed by this house and it looks like a good one he would plan it he would have all he these was- things he was like scoping people out and like he really knew those neighborhoods he knew how to get out of there yeah. he knew what yards to jump in he knew people like multiple people's schedules i'm sure he knew like who lived in what houses and stuff like he was busy with that Ugh, it's just <laughs> lots it of energy wild. planted into that and again i just can't understand how yeah you're right he probably did age out of it but he just Stopped. I'm done with this. Yeah, I'm done with that. You, you would think if that was his like outlet for his rage that then the family would notice him getting angrier because he doesn't have that anymore. You would think that mm-hmm. there would have to be something to replace that feeling. Something. You would think so. I don't know. And I wanted to say one more thing that I should have said earlier in the notes. The first time that he killed the people that were walking their dog. Mm-hmm. 
I want to say I read something that said what they think happened there is that they witnessed him doing something and they saw his face. Oh. And that's why he chased them down in the streets to kill them. Wow. Um, and I would love to know what they saw him doing. Is the dog okay? Do we know that? He killed dogs. I left that out, but he killed lots of people's dogs. Ugh. I'm glad you left mm-hmm. that out. Thank you for that. So probably not okay. I don't know. Probably not. But we're just going to believe dog killer and we're not going to talk about it any more than that. <laughs> right. Even though that dog was in the 70s, it's still alive on a farm somewhere living its best mm-hmm. life. Okay. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. He's a bad guy. And like just looking at his face. Yeah. Gross. Looks like a bad guy. He Ugh. does look like a villain. Yeah, he really does. Even when, like, like when he was younger, he did. And then you know how I love myself, old men. I love old old men. Like eighty year old men are one of my favorite things in the entire world. I think they are so freaking cute. And he's not an old man that I like. No, he's on <laughs> the the bad list. Yeah, he's not a cute old man. I don't like him. <laughs> He's a creepy old man. And you could just see it like in his eyes. There's something wrong with his eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. But that's that is that. We didn't talk about Patton Oswalt's wife. Um, what is her name? Mary McNamara. Mich- Michelle. Michelle McNamara. Michelle McNamara. Uh, she wrote a book. She got two-thirds of the way done before she passed away. They finished the rest of the book. People finished the rest of the book for her. So it's out. Allie, you said you read parts of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's things that she did, I think that helped with the case. Um, she didn't solve it obviously because they used the genealogy to solve it. But I know, and again, I'm still watching the documentary, but at one point she was on eBay looking for the things that he had stolen Mm -hmm. because he stole weird personal items and her thought process was, well, maybe he, like somebody else got a hold of them or he died and they're selling them on eBay or he might be selling them on eBay. So she started looking for stuff. And I thought that was like such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I would she... never have thought of that. Well, and in the, um, cause like I said, that was whenever all that really blew up whenever I watched it. And then I read most of the book. And again, the book is really, really, really good. I just struggle sometimes with true crime because I'm more of a fiction mm-hmm. reader um, but it's very well written and she very, you can see just the obsession that she had with it because she was obsessed and, but she actually helped solve another case earlier on with a child that was kidnapped and linked two kidnappings together. And like, she didn't get credit for it, but she posted that she believed that they should look into they this were, and then like three yeah. days later they found them. Yeah. So yeah. she, she definitely had another you know, way to look at things that other people weren't to try to help solve these things. So yeah, definitely. But yeah. yeah. Oh, should I uh cite my sources? Probably. Okay. I used Wikipedia, abcnews.com, goldenstatekiller.com, latimes.com, and abc7news.com. And that's what I used. Yes. <laughs> and I'll be gone in the dark. The oh, documentary. Yeah, well, the documentary. Partially. It's on Max right now. Yeah. First yeah. two episodes. 
I've watched. So <laughs> those are the ones that I've got in my brain and maybe added some information about. Uh-huh. So, and it's right. good so far. Highly recommend. <laughs> it is good. It is really good. They have a lot of stuff of her like talking. It's her and life. Things yeah. Like that. Yeah. And Pat and Oswald on there. They got me crying. They were the cutest. Yeah. Their little like love story is very cute. And I don't know. But yep, it's worth it. It's worth a read too. It is a good book. Um, All right. So we hope you enjoyed episode 160 on the Golden State Killer part two. We hope y'all have a great week and we'll see you Mm -hmm. next time. Bye. Bye.